Hi, everyone. I wanted to remind you of a must read. This is a book that you have to have on your bookshelf. It is called The Necktie and the Jaguar by Carl Greer. He is able to help you make important decisions, give you some guidance on which path to take, and you get to learn how he tapped into the wisdom and power of the unseen worlds for guidance and inspiration. I had the opportunity to interview him, and he was a lovely guest on the Path 11 podcast, episode 343. Check it out. Listen to the podcast. Go buy the book. Again, it's The Necktie and the Jaguar by Carl Greer. To find out more information, go to his website, carlgreer.com. That's spelled C-A-R-L-G-R-E-E-R.com. Today's podcast episode is sponsored by the Reconnective Healing Global Community. I don't know if you guys remember, but back in 2020, we released an episode with Dr. Eric Pearl and Jillian Fleer about reconnective healing. He was a chiropractor who was working in his practice in Los Angeles, and his patients started to report that they were having these healings just with his hands being near them without him actually touching them. So he went on to research and try to find out what this universal wisdom was behind what was happening. And he developed the reconnective healing process. Their website is thereconnection.com and they are offering an online level one class called the portal to awaken your own healing ability and to learn how to do this. There's over eight hours of interactive content where you will learn to interact with energy, light, and information to experience lasting knowingness, peace, and love without limitations. They gave us a coupon code to give to all of our listeners. It is PATH2PORTAL. We're going to put that in the show notes. And that's 25% off of the Portal Online Level 1 course. I hope you guys enjoy. Let me know if you take it. Send me an email. Would love to know how the course works for you. Hi, and thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. At the Path 11 Podcast, we are here trying to deliver leading-edge research on consciousness, healing, and metaphysics. And just like you, we are trying to answer the big questions about life. Who are we? Why are we here? And what is our purpose? We hope by listening to our podcast, it will make each day you live on Earth a little easier to understand. And now for today's podcast. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to today's podcast. I am very excited to bring you my guest today. Her name is Shelly Knight, and I think we're going to have an awesome conversation because we are two women who used to be and work in a clinical setting, and then we became really spiritual, right, and have shifted from the clinical to the spiritual. She has an amazing story. Let me tell you a little bit about her. She's a former nurse and a clinical hypnotherapist turned author and podcaster. Shelly is the author of Good Grief, the A to C approach of modern day grief healing and the lighthearted self-help book, Positive Change Self-Kick Book. Shelly is the host of award-winning mental health show, Positive Changes, so you guys better check that out. It's a self-kick podcast and founder of the host of Good Grief. And uh, she is coming from the UK, right, Shelly? Yeah, in the Midlands, right in the middle. <laughs> yeah, awesome. So, and you have done so much more. And I know that you're working on past life regression. You've done neuro-linguistic programming, mindfulness, herbalism, dream therapy, tarot card reader, intuitive tarot coach. I mean, my gosh, you've done it all. So 
Welcome to the PAP 11 podcast. And I know that we're going to talk a little bit about like the spiritual aspects of death. We'll, we'll cover some grief, bereavement, mourning. What's the difference of those? And uh, we definitely have to get into your past life regression work too. So yeah. So why don't you kind of bring us through your story? Like how, how did you, well, tell us like where you began in nursing and then how did the journey begin to slowly start to shift in to more of this spiritual perspective where now you're an author and you're a podcaster and you're doing past life regression. It's a big leap to go from the clinical to the spiritual. Yeah, there were a few zigzags. It wasn't a linear path and I don't think life's a linear path, but I kind of zigzag, probably looped the loop and looked like a you know, dropped bowl of spaghetti, if I'm quite honest, looking back. But I went into nursing and always had that empath kind of wanting to care, make a difference kind of thing. And I loved it, but what I learned very quickly upon qualification of being a nurse is that when you're going to healthcare, it's not all about health and there's a lot of death. <laughs> and I guess I wasn't really prepared. And you mentioned like my good grief book, and it's the book I wish I'd had to kind of warn me that healthcare is not always about saving a life. You know, sadly not. But I kind of bundled along and I was quite fortunate if that's the word that I hadn't really experienced loss in my personal life. I mean, the family dog had died when I was about nine, but I was a 28 year old mature student as I went into nursing and nobody had died in my family. And then it was like healthcare. And then these patients were dying of heart attacks, cancer, road traffic accidents, alcoholism, you know, and it was just all a big wham bam. So got through my nursing degree, but as I completed, that's when loss started coming to my personal life. And I speak really openly that my beautiful stepdad died just months, like 2005. My granddad died, my grandmother died, an auntie, a friend died to suicide. It just all started to happen personally, but also in my career. So these were all the kind of shifts that started to happen. And I think that's the way for me that I never get my epiphanies and spiritual awakenings on a yoga mat whilst drinking green tea. It is always like drastic ways, like, you know, <clears throat> death, loss and grief. So I was actually on the ward in acute medicine when my mum phoned to say my beautiful stepdad had died suddenly um, in the early hours of New Year's Day. And Initially, it was just a push to take me from acute medicine into hematology and oncology, which is where I had that niggle I wanted to work. And it actually started to heal me in my grief, which I know sounds really weird, <laughs> but my dad died suddenly and I didn't get to have that kind of, you know, the storytelling and what they wanted to say in that precious time together. And as I went into oncology and hematology, some people make great recovery from cancer. Some people would do well, come back five years later, and some would just be palliative and end of life. They weren't responding to treatment or didn't wish to have treatment. And I just observed grief, like what it's like at the end of life, you know, to have that chance to say goodbye as the patient, as the family, as the nurse. And it's where a lot of my work came. And I loved it. But then, as I said, I had so many losses, like, my big part of my journey has been miscarriages, which I've had, I believe seven that I know of. We have four children, but I think I've been pregnant 11 times or more. And as I had those losses and my grandparents dying and my friend dying and all this thing, I don't know, it's kind of like an awakening, which you wouldn't have thought in grief. You always think of grief as being this heavy thing that keeps you anchored to where that death was. 
but I haven't had that journey. I've had grief feelings throughout and I started to <laughs> observe spiritually whilst working clinically that we are more than our physical body. And I know people are probably rolling their eyes, April, as I say it. You know, I started to walk into a room, you know, and people started having breathing difficulties at the end of life. And the room would be a different temperature or the, you know, the walls would soften. They would be the harsh four walls. The body of the dying would start to change, particularly the skin. I became aware of energies. There's always a, I don't know if it's a UK nurse thing, but we used to open the window when someone died to let the spirit or the soul go out, you know, to evolve. So I did that. But that's about how spiritual nursing was at the end of life, just open the window, you know. But I was aware of sort of like a mist around the chest. People would be nonverbal for days, then speaking to loved ones that had passed before them. Loads of stories. And, you know, when you hear those stories so many times, like any belief in life, you start to listen and take note. And so that's how it was that, you know, I carried on and people would die in my personal life or like clinically. And I just knew there was more happening at that point of death. So I actually took a career break from nursing in the midst of our miscarriages, I think after the second one, before we got far worse. But anyway, that's a whole new story. But yeah, when I'd had two losses, I took a career break from nursing because I'm maternity, leave, but dreading going back and not enjoying the time. I've got such an active mind. I'm like a sponge. As that's, bless you, when you mentioned in the bio, that's where I did like, you know, the NLP, the dream therapy, the herbalism, you know, pretty much everything mindfulness. Because I suppose I had that niggle again, that oh, I'm going to dive a little bit deeper into that. I did return to nursing, but it wasn't the Shelley I was before. And I was then starting to be more aware of those sort of the temperatures, the energies. By then, I had done clinical hypnotherapy. I'd gone back to nursing, but did my past life regression. And as it's past life, obviously people have died, but then come back into this incarnation. And I've just kind of, I don't know if I've ever had a fear of death, but I know that we go on after death and I don't fear death now. But yeah, I just learned so much personally and through study that I knew I wasn't really, I didn't feel at home anymore being purely clinical and I just wanted to find more arts myself, but also kind of the world at large. Mm, wow. Yeah, that that's an incredible journey, you know, to kind of go from not having any personal experiences with death to almost being inundated with it, you know, and having so many people close to you, you know, pass. And, you know, interesting, like you say, when you took a break and then you kind of got curious and did all of this training, and then you went back to it, but you weren't the same, right? It's like, it's like once you start working, learning about spirituality, it's like you can't unsee or unexperience what you experience during this journey, right? And it does, it changes you in a sense. It changes your consciousness, your perception of things. You look at things differently. And, um, and I just kind of wanted to get your opinion too, because it feels like for me in the psychology field, that spirituality and psychology go hand in hand, you know, in, in many ways with many different things, even like take grief, for example, you know, it's like, there's a lot of spirituality to talk about in, in a grief experience that people are going through. Yet some of the healing modalities are very separate, you know, than 
in my field, clinical counseling, you know, and I, I'm seeing that things are starting to merge together a little bit more, you know, where mindfulness is now being taught, you know, in, in psychology courses, energy psychology, uh, positive psychology, you know, so I'm like seeing it begin to trickle in in a different way. But why do you think it is that the clinical world just there are so many healers in the clinical world, right? Doctors and teachers and nurses and therapists. Yet we're kind of in our training made to have a little bit of this narrow mindedness, you know, of like not really bridging, bridging them both. Yeah, I observed from my personal experience that when you are clinically based, you're treating the symptoms that are presenting. There was never the trigger before the behavior. And I know this firsthand. So I remember being a newly qualified nurse. We had to do a really awkward presentation to the hospital about our you know, initial six months. What did we learn? And if I'm really honest, what I learned was that we had the same patients with alcoholism coming back again and again and again, some monthly, some 12 weekly, but always coming back. And so my presentation was about how people who suffer with alcoholism or drug addiction aren't being treated correctly. They'll come in and be dried out, cold turkey, we call it here. And, you know, they'd be medicated to get them off the alcohol, but then they would come back again and again. I said, it must be costing us thousands a year, but we're not asking, why are you drinking in the first place? You're only treating that breaking point. I got really told off, which is not the first time in my life, April, if I'm on it. <laughs> but I got really told off and said, this doesn't happen here, you know, absolutely not. And I was like, but it does. And I kind of dismissed it, thought I'm never going to get promotion at this hospital. That's quite clear. But six months later on our local news channel, my mum phoned me very excitedly to say it was on the news how it costs millions here in the UK to treat people with addiction. But when they come in, they're given medication. We treat the symptom, not the trigger for that behavior. So people come again and again, you know, if we pile that medication money into sort of like mental health, hypnotherapy, you know, something different, I think we'd see these positive changes. So that's why I think we don't have that bridge. I think from this Western model that, you know, I don't know if it's because it's cheaper or it's quicker or the way it's always been, but when people present, you just make it better, like put a sticky plaster on it almost. Right. Well, and if people, you know, well, I don't know. I think sometimes too that our our system can kind of keep people where they are and not heal them, right? And I think some of the modalities that you and I, you know, practice, like I can be done working with clients sometimes in like 10 to 14 sessions and really heal a life trauma. And they are now like free to live their lives. You know, they're not bound by it anymore. If you continue to be bound by it, you have to pay co-pays to go see the doctors, you know, which fuel the insurance companies. You have to, you know, then you're taking the medication and that's, you know, connected to the pharmaceutical companies and stuff like this. So there, although it appears that we have a system you know, out here that is trying to help. And here, here are these services. And here, we're going to give you this insurance that makes it cheaper for you. There's also a little bit of dependence, I feel. Like I really try to empower my clients and say, you don't need to live with this PTSD, you know, for your whole life. You don't need to identify with, you know, being this anxious personality. Like you can be a person that, you know, might struggle with it at a baseline, but like can really live your life very freely. And I think if we're doing our jobs, like, 
we are, people are leaving, you know, <laughs> they, they're not staying so dependent, you know, upon us to have to come in because we're teaching them the skills and then using the stuff that works, especially like with hypnotherapy yeah. and working with the unconscious mind to dig some of that stuff, clear it out and let them live their life. Yeah. I mean, you know, you could see people for years as a nurse, they would come back and it'd be one manifestation of disease after another. But when I did past life regression, I can only describe it as I saw it. There was a light that came from behind their eyes. They got lighter as they detached what didn't serve them. That's like three hours of therapy over like three weeks. But, you know, it's just not offered. And you think it's not taught. It's like, you know, when I said earlier, I, I wrote Good Grief. It's the book I wanted as a student nurse. If you're going into healthcare not being taught about grief, you're certainly not going to go in and be taught about, you know, like, hypnotherapy, past life regression and things like that. But we should, you know, you try medicine and see if it works for you. Why not let someone try modernity? Right. No. Yeah. Oh, there's side effects as well, if I'm honest. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think I had one class in my master's degree training, which was on death and dying. That was the title of it. One class. That was it. I have learned more doing the Path 11 work that I'm doing <laughs> since 2008 than I learned in grad school ever, you know. It's crazy. So, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about past life regression. So what, what type of past life regressions do you do and how did you get into that work? So this is, this is welcome to my family, this is. <laughs> so I was the victim of domestic violence when I was 21. And it, it did really like knock me sideways. Um, but for my birthday, for around my 21st, 22nd birthday, my mum and the beautiful stepdad that died, at the time they booked me a past life regression. So some people would have got like a nice gold watch for the 21st. I got past life regression. And if I'm honest, she was the most amazing past life regression is. But it was just that intrigue, that curiosity that's still within me, you know, like a good 20 odd years later. So she took me back to a past life. So I've been beaten up by my fiance in this life. And my mum and dad got me this present. But she took me back to a past life, which felt a little bit like Salem, where I just wouldn't settle down. I was a real nonconformist. And there was all these other women in the village. And... They were setting down, but they were being like beaten up, doing it because they wanted to, you know, sort of like real traumatic things. And I just wouldn't do it. So what it did teach me was like, well, Shani, you've not really changed. It's still not settling for second best, you know. And it was just that intrigue. But it took me until I was actually like double my age at 42 when somebody just came into my life with the most amazing synchronicity, Doug Buckingham. And he's this amazing transformational past life regressionist here in the UK. And that's how it began, but it was half my lifetime again. So with transformational past life regression, it doesn't just take you back and say, you know, you was unmarried and didn't want to settle down. It would take you back and heal you and any perpetrators and any issues. So you don't carry it into this life. Mm -hmm. So you can go back, whether it's happy or negative experience, you transform it into a positive and use it in this life. Great. And so when you did that for your birthday present, did you end up getting out of that domestic violence relationship? Well, I'd already left. Then you get that silly heartstring thing that pulls you back. But I think someone was looking down for me from heaven and I soon left again. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. 
Hi, everybody. I wanted to just take a quick moment to tell you about a beautiful divination deck of cards that you can get your hands on. My friend, Molly Mandelberg, spent two years traveling the world while writing and illustrating the Wild Hearts Rise Up Oracle deck. This inspired pep talk deck has some serious magic inside. Pulling a card a day from this deck will encourage you to bring your dreams to life, to allow that idea tapping you on the shoulder to finally manifest into physical reality. It's sassy, insightful, and potent. The link to check it out is in the show notes of this episode. Just click on there. It's going to bring you right to the Oracle deck. And again, it's Wild Hearts Rise Up Oracle deck. So what kind of cases do you work with in your practice? What are people coming to you with? Are you doing past life regression around grief? Is it more around trauma? Is it health issues? So I'm not practicing the moment because I've been writing for the past 18 months, but they would come to me over guilt was a very common one. I had a lady that come with guilt because she'd had an abortion. I've come to people who are just really anxious. I've had people with physical health issues like leg pains that you can go back to the clinical, but people that have been like in the clinical setting for five years and can't get answered, they've come to me for that. So sometimes it's a physical, sometimes it's emotional. So very varied, very varied. Mm -hmm. And do you take them to, do you, with your past life regression, is it very general? Like when you induce them, are you just setting the suggestion that they return to the past life that's directly affecting this lifetime or how exactly do you take people back to their past life? I ask them to tune into something that's coming up to them recently. And then I take them back a bit further. And then I ask like, go back to the source of this problem. And that's where they go. So it's easier. People are really raw. So like if someone comes to me having recently miscarried the emotions are very high and they're very easy to get in. But I think when we're pushing down the emotions and things happen years ago, and it's a last ditch attempt. It can take longer. But yes, I sort of use the emotional memory they have now. I had a lady come into marital problems in this life. So I just asked her what was annoying you. And then the emotions come from that. So I'm picking up what's in their current life, why they're presenting to me and then taking them back to the source of the problem the first time they experienced it. Gotcha. Okay. And do you have... One client story that wowed you with the past life regression that you'd like to share? I don't, I just find it fascinating. This is, I did this when I was returning to nursing and I knew that I love past life regression more than I love my nursing. But I don't love one client more than another. It's just, as I said earlier, that light behind the eyes is what I love about it. So, you know, the physical injury one was really interesting because that's where they've been in stocks in a previous life and that's how they died. So they had like arthritis in their joints and things like that where they'd been hanging in these stocks. So that's really interesting. But for me, it's just the work, the light that comes, you know. By the third session, it's almost just like a beautiful conversation because so much has healed. It's just really, really beautiful. And it fascinates me. But again, now I've said it, it's probably why I left the clinical because, you know, if you make that much difference in three weeks, after five years of searching for why, you know, wrist and leg pain, why would you not allow people to try it? Right. 
Yeah, I agree. Awesome. So let's talk about your writing now, right? Because you're deep into writing. You've already written a couple of books. Which one do you want to talk about? You want to talk about the good grief one and kind of go back to the spiritual aspects of death? Probably most sensible to go the other way because they're very, very different. And the positive changes took four years to write and good grief took nine months. But what it was, whilst positive changes, a self-kick book is really humorous, straight talking kind of thing. It came after the end of my journey with all of my miscarriages. My last pregnancy was meant to be with triplets. Then he went down to twins. And then we just have Daisy, who's now seven and amazing. She was my little earth angel that's meant to make it. In life, we call it here, the semicolon moment where you feel suicidal and you think, do I end my life story here? Or do I go all on in and, you know, have the most amazing story, which is what I did. So I wrote Positive Changes because I got to that point where I decided to go all on in with my life. I just tried loads of different tools, you know. So not really the talking therapies or the medication once again, but it was sort of like, sense of community, volunteering, I think that did things like calligraphy, Chinese tea ceremony, writing bucket lists, wish lists, everything. And that's a real, real fun one. So that's why I wrote that. But good grief came about because you go through life, don't you? And it was after I gave up. So that was as I was like returned to nursing and then had this sort of suicidal thoughts around my last pregnancy. And I wrote the humorous positive changes. But then I left nursing and I remained out of nursing and I worked with a life coach because I really struggled with who am I without being Shelley the nurse. It was real part of my identity. And along with that, like, oh, we've got four children, but three of them had gone to school, four of them was going. I wasn't even a stay-at-home mum. It was a real transitional stage for me thinking, I'm not a nurse, I'm not really a stay-at-home mum. So I worked with a life coach, they like, what's the next chapter? And she goes, well, why did you go into nursing? And I was like telling her why, and she said, but why did you leave? And it was that whole, like the room temperature changing, how like you're looking at the bedside of that loved one, but their soul's already left. And as I like look back on the camera, she was like gobsmacked and wide mouth going, why did you not write a book about that? <laughs> so that's how it came about. And it was so intuitive, I'm not saying it's channel, but it was so intuitive what I wanted to share from 30 years in healthcare and nearly 50 years in life that I just pulled it all into the pages. And whilst it's a companion for grief healing, as I said, it's also a book that would work with student nurses, doctors, you know, holistic therapists, people that are grieving, people that want to support people that are grieving, or just people who might have like a fear of death, I guess, or searching for more meaning. And it covers everything. It goes from like the life that we're born into, we're given a name we don't even want into life stages, life lessons, dying, communication, and then loads of tools. And it does do like, you know, go to your doctor, see if medication might help, try talking therapy, but mostly it's tools you can try at home or within your local community just to try and move forward. Yeah. And, you know, with the book, Positive Changes. So, you know, clearly you were at a pivotal moment, right? Having suicidal thoughts, you know, experiencing a lot of miscarriages. What was your grief journey kind of like through that? And what was the switch that said, okay, I'm going to just throw myself into life fully? The grief was horrific. To be honest, it was probably like, there's like 17 different types of grief nowadays, but it was probably like a secondary loss because of my age. I was 40 when I was pregnant with what was, you know, the daisy journey. But 
because of my age, I just had back-to-back miscarriages. I mean, I think you go to miscarriage child, miscarriage child, five consecutive losses, and then the daisy journey, as I call it. So I wasn't really allowing myself to grieve in between. And there was a second loss because there'd be another miscarriage or another period, which wasn't a pregnancy, you know, a lot of loss, whichever way. And from that, from my own grief journey, that's why I'm so passionate about encouraging people to grieve how on earth they want, you know, and that's why there's so many tools in there because I kind of pushed it down that sticky plaster, you know, and that dis-ease, you know, that we really need to get our grief out. And so whilst positive change was lighthearted, it came from a really dark time. And I think the reason, like you said, why did I go on? I had got a ridiculously handsome husband that helped. <laughs> a really cute kids. It wasn't enough initially, but you know, but it is that. And I think I'd had enough spirituality come in. Like people have heard me talk before will know that, that my daisy journey was, wasn't your normal pregnancy. I had a lot of spiritual tools helping me because clinically we've been told to terminate daisy in the hospital I was working in at the time, but spiritually I'd seen her for about 18 months, two years beforehand. And so I thought, well, clinically they've given up on me, but spiritually I'm going to try because if that's the outcome, at least I know I've tried. And so that was just how it came about really positive changes in my own life. I wasn't really grieving properly, but I was trying lots of things to heal. And we're here, the family's complete, you know, and she's hilarious. She's very cute and she has very spiritual stories to tell despite being seven. But yeah, that was a big flick for me from the clinical to the spiritual when they told me to, you know, terminate my pregnancy, but I'd spiritually seen her for long before that. Yeah. So expand on that. You spiritually saw Daisy before you actually met her, before she was born. So was this in a meditation, a vision? Like how did you meet her spirit and soul? Or was it during regression work or some of the other modalities that you were working with? It, I would love to say it was something deep, like <laughs> the modalities and all that, but it was just a recurring vision throughout my working day. It was I've had it before. I knew I was going to meet my husband. I've seen the house now. And I've seen that in meditation as well. But it was just like clear cognizance, really clear knowing that I had this dark haired baby girl to come. And so when we had Milo, he's our, it's a good boy girl, boy girl. So when we had Milo, the one before Daisy, I had this vision and I was adamant it was a girl and I didn't find Emil. And I just filled up all the drawers with all the pink things you could ever wish for and more. And then he was an emergency section. And so I wasn't really with it. And when they said, it's a boy, and I looked at my husband and said, am I stoned? Or did they say it's a boy? He went both, dear. But I thought the vision would go. So I had it when I was, you know, before Milo came to fruition. And I thought that's my family complete. I got it wrong. But then it came back. And my husband, bless him, was in Singapore for a friend's wedding. And it came back. And I was just sort of like called his name. He went, I know that you want another baby. I know that tone of voice. <laughs> and I was like, the visions are back and it's more clear. It's more frequent. It was literally gone from like once every three months to almost a daily occurrence. And I said, we won't know unless we go for it. And then we doubt this daisy journey where it was triplets or twins, you know, really, really heavy. And so we saw her, well, I saw her, my husband would just be like, where's the science? But I saw her for many, like good two years beforehand, but clinically was told to terminate her. And so when actually. I decided to go all on in. Intuitively, I reached out to a friend who I hadn't seen in a year and I said, do you still do Reiki healing? And she's like, yeah, I do. And she just said, excuse me, ask him, but are you pregnant? 
And she'd been told by spirit, someone pregnant that's coming to you, they need your help. And intuitively, I've been told, reach out to her. She'll, you know, she'll be around for you still, even though it's been years. And so I started to have Reiki healing. And she said, the child's still there. She's very poor. She's got no color. She's gray. But every week I had healing and she started to turn color and then she started to move. But while I was having the healing, like a deceased psychic surgeon would come in as well. And like really strong characters from my past life would come in. I wasn't aware of it was what I was told. I started to read every single book on miracles. I only ever told Daisy that she was well. I called in guides, color, everything, as well as all the tools in positive changes. I started getting out more, you know, connecting to a community, going beyond myself. And that's, you know, I think it's probably a huge chunk of why clinically it never kind of worked for me again, really, because I've been dismissed from them from not, you know, not terminating a pregnancy. Yeah. Well, good for you for following that intuition, the vision, the knowing, really. I mean, it was the knowing, like you just knew, you know, that. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm curious to ask you, because I'm sure we have listeners that have also gone through, you know, miscarriages and can probably share in your story. Do you have any type of spiritual understanding, knowing, or a belief about what could have happened to the triplets? like why their souls didn't come? Or do you think it really was just a medical thing? Or is there something spiritually attached to that? All I know is when I was doing my past life aggression training, I had to be aggressed so much. So you have to get rid of all of your gunk so that when you've got your clients, it's not coming up. And I went into my mum's womb. <laughs> I went back to life between lives. So where I, why I chose this life, you know, the immediate past life and this one. And I signed up for love and loss. And I know this is why it was so important that I got this across in the Good Grief book. I know people are sitting there now and they'd be like, Shelly, I did not ask for this. And I would say the same. If someone said to me, you're going to have seven miscarriages and some of them are going to be multiple, I'd be like, screw that, I'm not coming. I've gone back and my life between life tells me I came here to experience love and loss. And I've had the most loving relationship I have. I've been loved so deeply. I've loved so deeply. Mm -hmm. And... It is part of my journey it is why I'm here, you know? And so for me, I had to go through a lot of loss. It's quite strange. Like I said, I didn't really have loss apart from the family dog until I started going into healthcare, which suggests it's the opposite. Right. But since then I've been on catch up, obviously universe flinging things at me, but yeah, I signed up for love and loss in this lifetime. And I'd seen the triplets. I had only ever seen like, you know, the vision I had, that recurring vision was only one child. But I sensed three children around my pregnancy. All I can say, but I only ever saw the one child. But I don't know why. I've done, had to do a lot of healing. Um, not in this house, in our house that we last sold is where I miscarried. And when I went to sell it, it would not sell. We tried five times in three years before we sought into it rather drastically, a TV makeover show. But I, again, Doug Buckingham, who taught me past life regression, he does remote viewing and he said, like, they don't want you to leave. Like, site guardians don't want you to leave. Your spirit babies don't want you to leave. And there was a lot of heavy energy. And I believe like when we miscarry, there's still some cells and soul of that child within us for a long time. So I've done a lot of healing, a mm. lot of healing. But does it make it easier being really spiritual? 
I don't know. I like to think, you know, they come back, whether they come back as like a grandchild in the future or something like that. You know, realistically, it still really hurt. It still broke me, you know. But I do like to think that, you know, things happen for a reason. If that's why I signed up, it's okay. But I've done so much healing, you know. Even now, things will trigger me. Because I think when you go through a grief and loss in life, it's not just sort of like the like the physical memory, like you feel it in your heart. I think it's emotional memory. So when you're exposed to something again, which has that same emotion, it brings it up. So like, I remember we was buying a dog and went to pay for it. And the man had sold it to someone else and it triggered being pregnant where I thought I'd have a take-home baby and I didn't get that take-home baby. So you wouldn't think buying a dog had anything to do with miscarriage. Right. But emotionally, it resonated some of my body that I had an expectation of something to come into my life and it didn't come to fruition. And it triggered me, you know. So whilst it does hurt, I do believe we can heal, but it's taken me years, if I'm honest. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, healing healing isn't, I don't, I don't think, something necessarily needed to be rushed. And it goes in layers, right? Because like you said, it's like you can think that you're healed there and then you go to buy that dog, but there's still some stuff that has to be, you know, pulled yeah. out from that because the emotion and the triggers, like two of the same, even though it's two totally different experiences. Yeah. And it, it feels like your past life regression with the live between lives was really fascinating. And it also sounds like very helpful to have a greater understanding of what you chose and why you were here. Yeah, it really helped. I mean, I had it when I was around 42 and I'm 47 now, and I still fits exactly with my career, if I'm honest, but it really helped about me understand why relations hadn't worked out, why I had my infertility. It also told me, which I'm way too excited about April, that <laughs> this is my last earthly incarnation. I've been here many times before. I didn't want to come back for this life. You know, I, I didn't, this doesn't feel like home to me. It feels too heavy and too dark and I don't always get humans. So it has really helped me. And I think that's why I don't have a fear of death. I feel like I'm really blessed. I completed my family, not to the number I wanted. I wanted seven children, but you know, I feel complete. We have our four children. I have my husband, you know, I've written books, my, you know, just beautiful things. I, I, every morning I just like love the weather, whether it's raining or sunshine, you know, that ever comes so much. And I think life is beautiful. Awesome. Lovely. Well, can you tell my my listeners where they can find your books, where they can learn more about you and your podcast too? Bless you. Yeah. So I've got a website and it's kind of all on there and that's shellyfnight.com. And there you can find the podcast and then I think find the social media and then you can buy the book, whether it's Positive Changes or Good Grief. I'm over all social media as Shelly F. Knight. So yeah, come find me. Well, Shelly, thank you so much. This was a beautiful interview. Thank you so much for your vulnerability, for sharing your personal stories with grief, your miscarriages, you know, how you came through with that and just your vibrancy for life and the way that you are living it and loving it. I think you're an inspiration for all. We will put all of your information in the show notes, check out her books, listen to her podcast. And I hope you guys enjoyed this talk as much as I did. Shelly, thank you so much again for Shelly. being a guest on the PAP 11 podcast. Thank you so much for having me and sharing my story. Thank you.
All right. Take care, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's show. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate and review the Path 11 podcast in Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, this podcast is made possible by our sponsor, Path 11 TV. Visit path11tv.com to start a seven-day free trial and start streaming over 100 hours of exclusive video content on consciousness, healing, and life after death. That's path11tv.com. And be sure to use coupon code PODCAST30 to take 30% off your annual membership. Start satisfying your spiritual curiosity with a membership to Path 11 TV today. Bye for now.